Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. It is Tuesday, which means it is Draft Deep Dives Day. So I am here, of course, with my Draft Deep Dives co-host, my hashtag basketball and no ceilings NBA colleague, Tyler Metcalf. Tyler, how are you doing this fine Tuesday afternoon? Uh, Nick, I'm fantastic. Uh, very excited for the draft that keeps rapidly approaching by the day. Um, and just very humbled by the early reception and warm reception that we've gotten to the No Ceilings Draft Guide and merchandise. It's been incredible uh, first week of that. Yes. First of all, any of you who are listening who have also supported the first week of No Ceilings, NBA, merchandise, and our draft guide, thank you very much for that. We all put a ton of work into it, and we're all, I think, very proud of the end result of that. So definitely check that out if you haven't already. And if you have, thank you so much for the support. As for the draft, yeah, there was definitely something that hit me when it was June 1st, and I realized, oh, the draft is this month. The draft is in 23 days, and, you know, now, as of this recording, we are 16 days away from the NBA draft, which is pretty crazy to think about, and... The player that we are going to start out by talking about today is someone who I don't think is likely to hear their name within the first 16 picks, but you know maybe you are a little bit more bought in on that particular train, but definitely a prospect who had a polarizing first season of college and is a polarizing prospect in some ways to evaluate, but one of the more steady baselines to their game is their defense. And that was the subject of your most recent Friday screener article over for no ceilings NBA max Christie's defense. So I'm going to start with you here. What were your thoughts on what you saw from max Christie on the defensive end when you rewatched the film for his first year at Michigan state this past season? I, I I just really liked a lot of it. And, um, you know, it, at the very beginning of the season, I was like, oh, God, this guy can't defend at all. Um, but then the more you watch, it's like, OK, his footwork's really sound. He plays with physicality, even though he's not the biggest or strongest guy, per se. Um, he's in the right position most of the time. The intention is there. The effort is there. And it's just that the game felt a little fast to him. Um, and that stuff I can live with because if the fundamentals are fine, if the um, effort level is fine, if the recognition of where he needs to be is generally there, then, you know, hopefully with so many of these prospects, the tendency is that as they just get more experience, as they get increased coaching, all of that kind of stuff, the game should slow down mentally and those rotations and positioning issues that he had they should become second nature to them and they should start the, the those issues should start disappearing as he continues to grow in age and experience. So the fact that his fundamentals were so sound so quickly and the fact that his, he has good length and plays with a sense of physicality that you wouldn't necessarily expect from someone with his uh, frame. I thought all of that was really encouraging and a really promising sign for who he will be as a player in the NBA. So I think that's the key point. The one you ended with is who he will be as a player in the NBA, because, you know, we've talked about it quite frequently on this podcast, but so much of what is required to be a good defender at the NBA level is just putting the work in. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, with Christie, I definitely am more concerned about his positioning issues than you are. But I think, you know, again, what I sort of mentioned up top with him is that defense is a key baseline skill for him. And I think part of the reason for that is he does have the baseline of putting in the effort. And, you know, there are moments where, you know, it looks like, okay, he does seem like he has a general idea of where he needs to be. He just maybe doesn't quite have the knowledge yet to know the angles of how to get to where he wants to be all the time. But, you know, it seems like generally he has a pretty good knowledge of where he wants to be. And more to the point, he is putting in the effort, which is, you know, a key step for, you know, both defense just period at a baseline level, but also in terms of projecting them to become better defenders at the NBA level. Yeah. And and people are going to look at his, and he only averaged half a block and half an assist per game and didn't have great, assist or block rates overall. Um, but I I was just more impressed and concerned. Um, sorry, going... Steal and block, not assist and block? Yes, yes, sorry, steal and block. Um, so, like, on paper, the, the defensive metrics aren't shocking or overwhelming. And so they, they, they don't scream out, okay, this guy's a really good defender. And for periods, he wasn't. But what I was more concerned with was the positioning and where he was and what he was doing and how he was impacting the play. And all of that, I just continued to come away really impressed. Um, it's the, the the big thing with him is he just so frequently, he it looks like he just needs to take a deep breath, settle down. It's like he had too much Red Bull going into the possession and is all hyped up on caffeine. And it's just a little too frantic out there. And those possessions where he was just playing within himself and reading and reacting. It, it it looked natural. It was smooth. He was cutting off drives. His footwork was almost always really good. Uh, he had a little, he had occasional issues uh, sliding to his left uh, quick enough, but again, you know, mo- more coaching, uh, some fundamental tweaks. I think that can be fixed, but the, the effort was never not there. And the fact that he never lost, the trust or faith of his coaching staff, I thought was really important because he just, he always started. He always got meaningful minutes. And Tom Izzo is a coach where if you're killing your team and if they don't trust you, if you're not putting the work in, he's not going to play you. So I I think that should speak volumes. Um, Just overall, the the fundamental base of his mentality, uh, his footwork, just where he is right now, um, I think is really promising for his long-term you know, trajectory. Yeah. You mentioned the sort of combination of sure he's inexperienced, but you know, his coaches always trust him to put the work in. And especially with someone like Tom Izzo, he's still earning minutes and staying out on the floor, you know, especially with a player like him who is going to need developmental minutes early on in the NBA. It's important that, you know, he'll at least hit the level of, okay, his coaches are still going to want to put him out there and, allow him to make the mistakes he's going to make, which, you know, again, for the most part, the mistakes he's making are not, you know, mistakes of, okay, this is a crazy gamble that isn't going to work out, which, you know, you mentioned the steal and block numbers, which the fact that those are low is, you know, I'm not going to say that's a positive, but part of that as well is, you know, he also doesn't foul all that much. And part of that is he just doesn't gamble all that much, which, you know, yeah, okay, he's not going to make highlight plays on defense. He's not going to generate possessions for your team by jumping in passing lanes or, you know, blocking shots and turning those blocks into balls going the other way in transition. But, you know, he's also not going to make all that many mistakes. And 
the mistakes that he's going to make for the most part are mistakes that coaches are going to allow him to play through, which again will allow him to get the developmental minutes that he needs to become the kind of player that he can be. And I, I think that's a really important point because not all of defense is forcing turnovers or blocking shots. Obviously that's helpful. You know, we love that out of defenders, but if you're not doing that, is it because you're out of position? Is it because your gambles are poor? Is it because you're just not trying? And that wasn't the case with Christie. It was generally his positioning was really sound. His effort was there and he was more focused on sticking to his assignment and, contesting shots and getting in the way and cutting off drives and being positionally sound instead of chasing steals and stuff like that to, you know, build up the stats or initiate the transition defense. So yeah, I don't think he's going to be this huge, you know, turnover forcing or huge disruptor in the NBA, but positionally, I I don't think he's going to be a liability in the long run because of that footwork, because of that intentionality and the physicality that he's already playing with, despite having one of the thinner frames among this freshman class. So one play that you put in the piece that I wanted to sort of reference in particular here is the kind of thing that you know, I think we've talked about a decent amount in terms of defensive mistakes. So you point out a play where Christie tries to pick up the opposing point guard in transition, even though he already has a teammate there. And the thing that I wanted to point out about that play is something that I think we've talked about before, which, you know, I think one time that we talked about it before was when I was talking about a prospect who does make a lot more gambles than Christie does in Orlando Robinson. But you know, I think part of the idea there is, you know, when Christie does make that mistake, it's, you know, a <laughs> good natured is not really the right way to put it. But I guess good natured mistake in the sense that, you know, he's trying to do a little too much, you know, especially yeah. since he has a teammate there. He's trying to do a little too much. But, you know, again, it goes back to something I was talking about earlier with, you know, if you're making a mistake because you're trying too hard on the defensive end, that means that you are at least trying on the defensive end, right? You know, the requisite effort is clearly there, even if that particular time it was misplaced. You know, it's a good sign that his, you know, thought is, I'm going to try and find a way to shut down this play in transition rather than, you know what, business decision here. I'm just going to let the dude uh, go to the rim and, <laughs> you know, just let it happen. So I'm not in the, I'm not in the photograph at the end of the night. Yeah. And I, the, the the problem with that play was I mean, his, his point guard, his teammate was back towards the free throw line. Ball handler is bringing up the ball across half court. Um, and his teammate was so deep because it is, you know, he he was the first one back. So just normal positioning and Christie just didn't pick that up. It was a case of, oh, OK, ball. No one's picking it up. OK, let, let, let me stop, stop ball basically in transition. And. That's fine on the surface. The bigger issue came after when he tried to frantically switch only one position away or only one pass away and didn't communicate it at all. It's like, okay, that that's where the speed of the game and the situational awareness can come into play where it's like, just take a deep breath. It's okay if you're stuck on this quicker guard for an extra 10 seconds of this possession right now, it's not the best time to switch. So it's that kind of stuff where you're like in the moment when it happens, it's like, what in the world are you doing? Like, this is so boneheaded, but it's all based around trying to get back to his assignment and get the right matchup defensively. So it, it, it just screamed of 
youth and a youth a mistake that young players make when with with more experience more coaching all of that kind of stuff you know it's stuff that should work itself out of his game and if we're seeing it two years from now it's gonna be like oh okay not great but you know I, i i would be really surprised because the vast majority of his you know off ball awareness and positioning and stuff like that was well intentioned it was well-timed and you know the the effort was there and you know the vast majority of times rookies and even sophomores in the nba are not good on defense you know right we we talk a lot about the rookies and sophomores that are good on defense because they are the exception right? right like you know there are so few players that come into the NBA and are good on defense right away, or even are good on defense by the end of their first year in the NBA, you know, and especially with someone like Christie, who's going to be, you know, not to be ageist because we are not here on this podcast or over at no ceilings NBA with draft evaluations or at hashtag basketball with draft evaluations for that matter. But, you know, he also is a, teenager right who still needs to put on weight but he's six six and you know something that you mentioned that i do want to sort of circle back to quickly is you know quick enough to stay with players on the perimeter for a step or two now i agree with that part that he's quick enough to stay with them for a step or two but what would you see as his defensive future again you know all the caveats that i just gave about players usually aren't good their first or second year on defense at the nba level but you know, by year three, where do you sort of see Max Christie's home being defensively? Is he like a two, three and that's it? You know, do you maybe have him on fours for stretches if he's put on a lot of strength by then, which I think is going to be a stretch? Certainly, you know, is he maybe someone who, you know, with a little bit more flexibility can be quick enough to guard ones in certain stretches? Where do you think he would sort of fit in defensively in a year three where, you know, in theory, he's gotten to the point where he's at least an average defender? Yeah, I'm, I, I'd i probably lean towards pretty much twos and threes and then the occasional kind of stretch four. Um, I, okay, yeah. I, I, I think his frame is good enough where he's going to be able to get substantially stronger you know now how quickly that happens who knows um I, i'm never a huge fan of guys just throwing on a ton of weight right away um especially when they have these kind of longer lankier frames coming in because i just think that's too much stress on the body and it just makes them even more injury prone than they need to be um but i i think after year three even you know we're talking five six i it wouldn't surprise me if he's guarding some fours because when he would rotate from the weak side and drop down on guys and he would get low, get into their thigh and try and take away their center of gravity. And it it was playing with a sense of physicality that I don't think a lot of people expect from him because of how skinny he currently is. So obviously I don't want him switching in the post regularly or anything like that because that that's just a recipe for disaster. But in terms of making a rotation and tagging or bumping a guy in the post or on a box out and stuff like that, I definitely think it's realistic to expect him to do that. Um, but the the vast majority of his defensive assignments will and probably should be twos and threes. So let's, before we move on to our next subject for the day, just sort of talk quickly about Chrissy's offense. Mm-hmm. Now, he did not shoot as well as I think 
most people expected. Now, I think longer term, I'm definitely buying into his shot more than the 31.7% that he shot from three-point range this year and the 38% that he shot from the field. You know, I've talked time and time again about how I'm a partial free throw truther and the fact that he shot 82% from the free throw line is certainly encouraging on that far end. The fact that, you know, he also was an excellent shooter in high school is also encouraging on that front. You know, it's not like he's someone who, you know, maybe even 37, uh, 31.7% would be a high watermark. That's not the kind of player he is, but it was concerning. And I'm also concerned by the fact that, you know, not only did he not have a great three-point shooting season, but... He also only shot 43% inside the arc, which, you know, I would have liked for him to be a better finisher than that, especially if his shot is going to come and go. You know, it would be nice if he can score more regularly around the rim. But you still believe in Chrissy as a first-round guy. There are a lot of reasons to believe, not as someone who has sources, because I don't, and I'm not going <laughs> to pretend to, but... You know, there certainly seem to be a lot of signs that Christie might have a first round promise probably towards the end of the first round. But you're someone who believes in him as a first round guy. And clearly it seems like there's a very solid chance that at least one NBA team is with you on that front. So I assume a lot of that is still buying into his shot. But why do you still have him as a first round guy? Is it just believing in his shot and believing in his defense or is there sort of more of a mix there? So talk about why you still have him as a first round guy. Yeah. So I, I actually have him 19 on my board. 19. Okay. Yeah. I remember last time we talked, I think you had him like 20. So slight yeah. jump up even. For <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, I, I'm betting on the long-term talent. I, I expect him to be almost a non-factor his first year, um, maybe even his first too, but I'm betting on the long-term talent and I, I really like the foundation of the shot. I know the percentages aren't there, but his shooting mechanics, um, I think are really sound. Uh, R- Rucker and Corey at No Ceilings have pointed out that may- he may have a little bit too much arc on his shot. Um, I think that's one of the easier things to correct, but I think his general shooting mechanics are really promising for a long-term shooter. And as he gets stronger, I think that only that those percentages only continue to rise Um, in terms of indicators for his shooting. You mentioned the 82.4% free throw percentage. I think that's really solid. Um, He's a willing shooter, three and a half attempts per game from three. I like that he wasn't hesitant when coming off, coming off screens and shooting off the catch from three. And then to really show how good of a touch he, he has, and he's in the 94th percentile, in runners this season so he has the touch i think he has really sound mechanics um it might be a year or two until it clicks with him but i i do think that all of the indicators and the foundation that he has to work on are really promising and then you combine that with his how naturally he relocates and moves on the perimeter he runs really well off screens and had some beautiful uh curls off pin downs for mid-range jumpers this year so just all of that combined with what I wrote about and what we've talked about with his defense, I, th- I think there's a really high upside for him being just a, a high-level two-way wing starter in the NBA for a, a good amount of time. Yeah, I definitely buy into him as a longer-term project. I think the main reason why I'm still, you know, again, I'm nowhere near as in on him as you are, but you know, the reason that I'm... Which I get 
the reason why I'm still curious is really something that you talked about at length, which is the shooting versatility, right? Like, you know, he didn't knock down as many of his shots this year as I would have liked, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the fact that he's someone who, okay, he can be a catch and shoot guy, you know, he can come off screens. He is someone who relocates really well, who you can, you know, trust to not just, you know, stand in the corner and wait for the ball and shoot, but, you know, get himself open sometimes. I think, you know, it depends on how quickly he can get to the point where he's an average defender. And, you know, certainly, as you wrote about in the piece, there are reasons to be encouraged about his defense in the longer term. But, you know, if he gets to the point where he's like an average shooter from NBA three-point range sooner rather than later, which I think is, you know, honestly probable as much as possible, just given how good a shooter he's been every year except this past season, right? You know, then I think it just depends on how quickly he can get to the point where he's an average defender. And again, while I'm not as bought in on him as you are, I think that's entirely in the cards. And when you couple that with not just his shooting, but his shooting versatility, I think there's a lot of reasons to be intrigued about where Christie can take his game in the longer term. And, and we, we kind of talked about with the about this with Usman Chang the other week, too, where it's like this, you know these drafts need to be long-term projections and that's what we're doing. I similar to Zhang, I kind of expect Christie's first year to basically be a disaster where he's not contributing to winning basketball in any form or fashion. And I don't really care. Um, I think the takes with wherever he goes, I think it's going to be first round based on when he declared and how quickly he solidified his stance in the draft. Um, (laughs) I, I think the takes after his rookie year are going to be what a waste of a pick. This this team is so dumb. This guy can't defend. He's too weak. He can't shoot still, yada, yada, yada. And I think the same thing is kind of going to be applicable for at least most of the year with Jang. I don't care in either stance because the goal is for long-term impact. And I think after that year, after they get used to the speed and physicality and they improve their bodies – that's when in year two and year three, that's when I think we're going to see real big jumps from, from these guys. And, you know, I just, with all prospects, we got to stop being so reactionary, even though I know it's inevitable. Yeah. I mean, the list is almost too long for me to pick out a specific player, but how many players have been mediocre to not great to even terrible their rookie year and, gone on to be all-stars or all NBA players or future hall of famers. Like the list, the list is long enough that I am genuinely again, struggling to come up with just one example off the top of my head. Like Chauncey Billups is the most obvious one ever, right? Who you know, gets traded partway through his rookie year. Oh, they gave up on him after being the number three pick. And he just, you know, becomes a hall of famer and, you know, championship winner. Like players are the developmental curves of, prospects even the most highly rated prospects you know the top of the draft prospects much less someone like Christie who's going to be likely taken later in the first round than number three overall right giving up on them after their rookie year from an evaluation standpoint I mean just from a human standpoint is kind of I mean not kind of it's unfair from a human standpoint but from a prospect evaluation standpoint it's kind of ridiculous I mean you know, especially given how many players develop a little bit later in their career to give up on someone after their first season in the NBA is it's ridiculous to me. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it will never make sense to me. Uh, 
and you know, I, I, I always just kind of circle back to that, that point guard piece that Rucker wrote earlier this season about sometimes it just takes time and adjusting to the NBA speed when you're a teenager, it's a lot. These guys are the best in the world at what they do and to expect these teenagers and rookies to match that right away is absurd. It, it takes a couple of years. Yeah. Here's another one. De'Aaron Fox, you know, speaking of Steph Curry. Yeah. Well, I mean, Steph was in the running for rookie of the year. He lost it, of course, to Tyreek Evans. Right. But, you know, but, you know, with De'Aaron Fox, the reason I use him is he's someone who I think he's the fastest player in the NBA. And even still, the speed of the NBA was something that he had to adjust to. Now, granted for him, it was finding out how to use more than one speed, you know, having more gears than just 100% speed. But, you know, for everybody, even someone like Darren Fox, who has that kind of athletic advantage, it just takes time to figure this stuff out. And judging a player's entire future based on, you know, the first 20 games of their rookie year or just their rookie year period or... You know, even the first two years, it's it's not the way to go about actually evaluating players and their development curves properly. It just isn't. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not saying Max Christie or Zhang is going to be an all-star, but I think they are going to be significantly better than whatever minimal returns they provide in their rookie year. So all, all I implore you to do is just give it a little bit of time. All right, so from that uh, rather rather lengthy rant <laughs> from me, which thank you for sitting there through, Metcalf, I appreciate it. Um, let's move on to a player who I think is slightly further along their developmental curve, but still someone who had a season that was more of a breakout year for this guy, but certainly also not a season where he shot particularly well from three-point range. So... For my most recent article for No Ceilings NBA, I wrote about Darian Sebron, who, man, he is someone who is a ton of fun to watch, a really top-tier athlete who is nearly impossible to stop around the rim and gets to the rim almost at will. But, you know, again, shooting is a weakness for him. Let's just say that. I think, as I laid out in the piece, that there are some reasons to be encouraged about his shooting, particularly in the longer term. But unlike Chrissy, I don't think that Darian Sebron has a first-round promise or that there's as much reason to believe that he has a first-round promise from any team based on the news that I have heard. But he's someone that I definitely think teams should be looking at in the second round. But given that I wrote the article about him, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. What were your thoughts on what you saw from Darian Sebron this past season at North Carolina state? And he was one of those guys where mid season, once he started getting buzz and it's like, okay, I, I got to check this guy out. And upon first viewing, it's like, Oh my God, he is fun. Like this is so much fun. <laughs> and then you start kind of digging into the details and the nuances of his game. And I just, he kept dropping more and more for me um so i i think right now he's currently like a fringe second round to udfa um i don't love his game i'm just not quite sure how it translates for the positives his rim pressure is absurd the way he gets to the rim it's maybe the best in this draft um you know we, we always talk about shin angle and ben and that comes up so much with like defensive ends in the NFL and how they get around linemen. Sebron kind of has that same thing with the way that he attacks the rim and he'll, he'll be driving horizontal. And then the next thing, you know, he's almost turning at 
a 90 degree angle. It's really absurd. So to try and get like a sense of what players like him um, have kind of historically done in the draft or in the NBA, I just ran a a little query on Bartorvik. So just this is kind of selective. So take this with a grain of salt, but with guys, I, I believe their database goes back to 2008. So guys with a usage rate of 20 or higher who played 15 games or more and had a three point field goal percentage of 25 or lower, um, a field goal percentage at the rim of 55 or higher made at least 30 dunks from high major conferences. And then I put in the max height of six foot seven to kind of get rid of a whole bunch of centers. Um, and they're only 26 players and not a ton of them are great or did much in the NBA. Uh, Terrence Mann is one of the better ones. Rondé House Jefferson, Quincy AC, um, PJ Washington, and the rest are a lot of guys who didn't do much. So I think there are intriguing tools there, but I think the shooting is going to have to take a huge jump and the defense is going to have to take a huge jump. So one of those is going to have to change pretty significantly, but if it does, I think there's a really interesting player there. So once you read that list, it made total sense to me why I'm much higher on Zebron than you are because you said Rondé Hollis Jefferson and Quincy AC. And I <laughs> wonder, no wonder I'm all the way in on Darian Zebron. No, I think it's, I don't know. It's interesting to me that you brought up his defense because I think there are actually reasons to be encouraged about his defense in the longer term. I think part of that is, you know, some of the reasons that he works really well on offense, namely that he's six seven with, if I'm remembering correctly, like a six ten wingspan, and you know he's someone who the better clips of him defending on the perimeter, I think, are really encouraging for him to be able to be someone who could actually be a really solid two to three, maybe even one to three defender in the NBA longer term, and. I don't know. He's someone who I think graded out as a decent defender in the end, just because when he was on, he was actually really effective when he wasn't, it wasn't as pretty, but you know, again, the effort was there and he's someone as well who, you know, at six, seven, 180 pounds could, could stand to bulk up a bit. But I think if he does, he's definitely someone who could be effective on the wing two to three defensively. And, you know, Again, maybe even some ones in a pinch. I think he's still always going to be too skinny to guard fours, really. But again, the better possessions of him defending on the perimeter are good enough that I think he could actually be a decent, if not maybe even slightly better than decent defender defensively in the longer term. Yeah, my my bigger issues with his defense were was more of the off ball stuff where he would fall asleep a lot, get back cut, just completely lose his guy when they would relocate. Um, I, I thought the on ball flashes were definitely more encouraging because that's kind of where we saw his athleticism come into play. Um, yeah. So from that standpoint, I, I tend to agree. But if he's going to be guarding wings, then the off ball stuff gets. Beer becomes more prominent, um, which which worries me. And then, you know, when I talk about just needing to improve as a shooter, I'm not talking about being this dynamic pull-up shooter or running off screens or anything. If he can just do what Terrence Mann has done and just become really consistent and reliable from the corners, that may be enough. Because then when you pair that with his ability to obviously get to the rim and, you know, he can do that by attacking closeouts, and then just being, hopefully, a tenacious on-ball defender because he will have a significantly lower role 
in the NBA than he ever had in college. Maybe we're talking about one of the steals uh, of the, the, the undrafted guys are in the second round. So I'm, I'm definitely not out on him as a player. I just think there are certain tweaks and kind of significant changes that he needs to make. And that's where landing spot and kind of culture, I think are going to be so important for him, just like they were with Terrence Mann. So in terms of the shooting now, the off the dribble stuff is just not there at all. And I don't expect it to be there at any point that I think, you know, maybe he he figures it out in the longer term, but I'm not going to bet on that at all. The shooting from the corners as a longer term thing is, I don't know, I'm a bit iffy on that because he had a bit of an elbow flare when he was shooting from the corners. That was really the most consistent issue that I noted with his form. But Mm -hmm. in terms of cash and shoots in general, I mean, especially from the wing, he looked good. Like the form looks fine when he's shooting from the wing. It's not, you know, something like not to be unkind, but it's not like a Michael Cade Gilchrist kind of thing where you look at him shooting. It's like, Oh no, this is just broken, broken, right? It's just not going to work. You know, especially when he's shooting from the wing, it looks fine on catch and shoots, especially when he's got space and a little bit of time. So, you know, that's the kind of thing where, again, I'm not saying he's, you know, going to be a Steph Curry or anything, you know, creating his own shot from three point range anytime soon. But especially like on spot ups from the wing, I'm willing to buy into his shooting to some degree. And part of that also is backed up by the fact that he got to the line six and a half times a game and he upped his free throw percentage to 71%. And, you know, also just the general touch that he shows around the rim is encouraging in terms of his ability to, you know, get the ball in the basket. You know, touch is not something I'm particularly worried about. And the form, particularly on catch and shoots from the wings, is not something I'm particularly worried about. You know, the fact that his weakest point in my mind in terms of his catch and shoot, three-point shooting is from the corners is not great. But, you know, I think there are ways, especially given the amount of rim pressure that he provides to work around that, given the rest of his offensive game. Yeah. And I I just I I just struggle to see him becoming a really high level shooter. I the the I mean, it's totally fair, right? Given, you know, given the rest of his game. Yeah. And like the I think the mechanical things that you pointed out are important. Um, The bigger issue with me is just the unwillingness to shoot. And I, and he barely, I, I think career is only 1.1 three pointers per game, 1.3 per game this last year. And, and he only took 28 shots off the catch all season at North Carolina state this last year. So just, he, he passed up a lot of shots. Um, you know, some of those were just on driving and he would get the kick out and just immediately attack. So, you know, that that's one thing, but that's not as you know viable or reliable a skill or option in the NBA as it is in college. So I, I I worry about the lack of confidence that he at least appeared to have in his shot. Um, so I, I wouldn't bet on the shot long term if he could make that jump um, defensively. I would hope for that for as as a way to kind of get his foot in the door at least in a rotation um, immediately and then use that time and practice and just shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot. And shoot. So I, I think it's going to be a tough road for him, but you know, we, we've seen guys like Terrence Mann do it. And if he can, you know, they're, they're kind of similar players in the way they attack the game. Um, if he can accept that lower role and 
really take a jump in some of these key areas. It, it wouldn't surprise me if we, we talk about him a couple of years from now as one of the bigger steals. Yeah, you mentioned this earlier, and it's obviously true for any prospect, but I think it's more true for someone with such a you know specialized skill set like Sebron, where you know very very good in some areas, very lacking in terms of their game in other areas. The fit of where he ends up is just going to be vital to you know if he finds a place in the NBA longer term. Like you know if he ends up on a team where you know he'll have the ball in his hands a decent amount and it's a team where it's like okay we just need pressure on the rim and you know we have a couple of shooting big men so that even if you're not shooting your first you know two three four five entirety of your nba career years in the nba you know we have players around you that you can shoot or sorry rather players around you that can shoot and you know, something that encouraged me as well is that he seemed to get better over the course of the year at kickout passes. And, by the, you know, he was a pretty good decision maker in terms of, you know, he wasn't just going to charge at the rim, even though there were times that he just scored over three, four guys at the rim. He wasn't just going to charge at the rim every time. You know, he did oftentimes make the right decision in terms of kickout passes. And, you know, part of that is that Terquavion Smith was on his team and shooting a lot of threes for North Carolina State. But... You know, that's, I think, a really positive sign as well, that he's creating this rim pressure, but he's also shown a willingness to kick out to shooters, which, you know, if he finds the right context in the NBA, is going to make it even easier for him to stick in that right context as a rotation player longer term. Yeah, it's just tough because there there aren't many players like him in the league right now. And, you know, I I think part of that is the, the, the changing of eras and changing of types of players who you know, can make an impact. And another reason is that not all teams and systems find value in those types of guys. So I, I, I think Terrence Mann is, I, you know, sorry to go back to him again, but it, it seems like the ultimate success story, even a guy like Bruce Brown, you know, it's like, that's kind of the role that you're really going to have to adapt and change into. And he's not going to have the ball as much if ever, um, you know, in, in the NBA. So how he changes and, you know, adjusts his mentality to that standpoint will be really interesting and a really important factor for how he just kind of de- develops throughout his career. Bruce Brown, after the Ronda Hollis Jefferson and Quincy HD mentions. Wow. Another one, honestly, you know, given that we're in the middle of the NBA finals, Gary Payton II, and granted a lot of Gary Payton II's ability to find his way into the rotation is based on his defense, which, you know, Darian Sebron is yeah. not there. No. You know, I'm not going to pretend that he is, but, you know, if you have that kind of a weird skill set, but you find the right kind of rotation where, you know, there are a lot of plays where Gary Payton II is a role man, basically playing a five on offense, but, you know, being a perimeter guard on defense, you know, if you find the right kind of context as that kind of a, you know, Bruce Brown, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, any of the players that we've mentioned kind of context, then, you know, maybe you can find a much longer term NBA career than people thought and end up being one of the steals of the draft. And, If you don't, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out, especially when we're talking about like, you know, middle to latter portions of the second round. And, you know, I buy in on him, but I still have him as like a middle of the second round guy, right? It's not like I'm, you know, saying, oh, he's someone who I think is definitely stamped to have a long and fruitful NBA career. But, you know, I think given the 
spectacular abilities that he has shown, like given just how much pressure he puts on the rim and how good he is at scoring once he gets there, I can see a world where he carves out a long-ish term, you know, NBA role. And, you know, with Rondé Hollis Jefferson, you know, he isn't in the NBA at the moment, but, you know, he still had a few years where he was a starter and, you know, he was a first round pick, but he was, you know, latter portion of the first round pick and he had a pretty solid career for a few years there. And if that's the kind of player that Darian Sebron can be when you get him with like a middle to late second round pick, then that's going to be one of the middle, one of the better middle to late second round picks in that particular draft. Yeah, and for, well, for me personally, the the big difference between Sebron and the guys that we keep mentioning is is just the the defensive impact, and I just sure. don't think yeah, it's consistent fair. enough. So he he's really going to have to play with a lot more, you know, toughness, tenacity, all those buzzwords, whatever one you want to throw on it. He's going to have to take a big jump in that to kind of carve out that role, but. Maybe he does. Maybe with less on ball, he's able to kind of divert that energy into playing that higher level defense. So if he can do that, it wouldn't surprise me if he does carve out one of these niche roles in a rotation. Um, and I just, the the way he gets to the rim, it's so much fun. And it's yeah. so explosive and so surprising. And that And that's obviously his calling card, but if he can really hone in and improve defensively and play with that extra level and hit that extra gear. Who knows? All right. Anything else you want to talk about today before we wrap things up? Uh, go check out no ceilings, NBA.com. All our stuff is free. Go read it. Go subscribe. Uh, go over to no ceilings, NBA.bigcartel.com where you can find our draft guide and any merchandise. Um, yeah, that's about it. All right. He is Tyler Metcalf. You can find him on Twitter at T-M-E-T-C-A-L-F-1-1, as well as finding his work on NoCeilingsNBA.com and hashtag basketball, as well as over at Canis Hoopus. You can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N, and you can also find my written work over at NoCeilingsNBA, as well as on hashtag basketball and Nets Republic. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using. That's always much appreciated on our end. And if you have any feedback, feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email, nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.